I've talked to some mothers and uh, about who's mentioned about Laura leaving, and um, they're much sadder about Laura leaving than other staff members that have left in the past. <laughs> she has been an incredible blessing to the families of our church, and we're so grateful. Um, turn to Ephesians 1, verses 18 and following. Ephesians 1, 18 and following. Uh, let me give you a heads up a little bit on where we're headed over the next couple of weeks, where we've been, where we're headed, all that's coming up. Um, we've been talking about Jesus, which is, I think, a good topic for the church uh, to, 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 to preach about Jesus. We've talked about uh, his servant attitude, how Jesus went to the cross willingly, and his attitude of service, of going to die on our behalf, becomes the prototype, so to speak, of which we should follow. We should also follow in his steps. We should be servants. Last week we talked about the risen king and how um, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the preeminent display of the power of God. Today I want to talk about Christ's ascension. I'll come back to that in just a moment. Next Sunday is our anniversary Sunday, but I, I want to continue this theme of talking about Jesus, and I'm going to talk about the returning king. So everything you wanted to know about eschatology but were afraid to ask, come next Sunday. I'll do it all in 45 minutes, guaranteed. Um, we'll talk about the seven seals, the seven bowls, the seven whatever, four horsemen of the apocalypse, uh, the future in, of Israel and uh, the temple and the red heifer and everything else you ever wanted to know about eschatology. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, but I am going to talk about uh, the return of Christ next week, and so come Week after that, I'm going to talk about uh, us with him forever. Uh, what does heaven look like? Where do we go after we die? What does the future for us look like? And so I think the next couple are going to be really, really, really uh, fun. So come and see if I can really handle those two topics uh, next couple of weeks. Uh, before we look at this topic on the ascension of Jesus Christ, how many of you ever heard of if you're thinking back, ever heard a sermon on the ascension of Christ? If you've been a part of Fullness, you've heard one, because I preached on it once in 22 years. Uh, and so I want to revisit the topic because I think it's more important than we give it credit for. And I'll speak about it in just a moment. Uh, so I want to pray for us that the Spirit of God will give us life because this has this has the uh, danger of being just a theological treatise, if we're not careful. Um, what is the ascension of Christ, and what does it matter to me? Uh, as the topic of just, it's interesting, but I don't want it to just be interesting. My idea of sermons is that they should change the way we live. And I believe the ascension of Christ has more to do with who you are right now and what we're supposed to be doing than we really, really realize. So let's pray that God will give us insight in into that. And I also want to pray for Dan Stafford. He's still in Moldova. He's out of town. And for Nate and Cheryl, who are in Africa right now as well. So join with me as I pray. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that indeed the Lamb who was slain is worthy, worthy of glory and honor and adoration and praise. Lord Jesus, you are worthy of all. And I thank you that, Jesus Christ, you are sitting at the right hand of God the Father right now making intercession for us. 
I pray that this morning we will get a glimpse of what that means. Lord, as we pray this morning, we pray for others in our body who are not here because they're serving you across the world. For Dan, as he's in Moldova, keep him safe, anoint him, Spirit of God. For Nate and Cheryl, Lord, bless them, keep them safe, anoint them uh, to serve as well. Lord, they are there and we are there with them and uh, your presence is in filling and empowering. So Holy Spirit, Spirit of truth, we pray that your presence would fill this place, open the eyes of our heart that we can see what you want us to see today. Give us ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. I like, um, I like reading. Um, I like reading mystery novels. Um, you know, I read a lot of different stuff, but every so often I'll indulge my... Um, whims and download some mystery novel, some Agatha Christie novel, some other mystery uh, that I'll download on my iPad, which I, I love to read on my iPad now and because I can carry 20 books with me and one little device. And so anyway, one of the core components of mystery novels is that somebody's been killed. Uh, it's a joy, right? Somebody's dead somewhere, and then we're going to have to solve who done it, so to speak. And one of the key components of all of these mystery novels has to do with the body. What did they do with the body after they killed the person? How did they dispose of the body? Where is the body? Is there a body to be found? Uh, Somebody's missing. Uh, First thing everybody tries to do is find the body. The story about how to get rid of the body is as old as Cain and Abel. Cain kills Abel, and then God shows up and asks Cain, Hey, where's your brother? Where's Abel? Cain says, how should I know? Am I my brother's keeper? And God says, your brother's blood cries out from the ground. The idea is that Cain had buried Abel in the ground and that his blood was crying out. It was a nice try to hide the body, but it didn't work. I mean, trying to hide something from God is not very wise anyway. In other words, God is saying, I know what you did with the body. In the chronology of Christ, we see a great deal of emphasis over history placed on the cross, uh, the resurrection, uh, the teachings of Christ, his disciples, his final words, and then Christ leaves. And then we have the day of Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit. We'll talk about that in about a month. I want to preach on uh, the coming of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost Sunday. We see all of this, but what I want to talk about today is the part where it's, and then he leaves. What happens when he goes? Where did Jesus go? What is he doing? What did he do with this body? And what's he doing right now? The picture that many have is that Jesus Christ came to earth in bodily form. He did all the work that he was supposed to do. But then he just left. And he's waiting to return. So there's this gap between when he came and when he's coming again. But we don't really think, I think, at times of Jesus doing something now that matters. He's just kind of in a holding pattern from some of our view. In some ways, the whole ascension of Christ offends our modern sensibility. The whole story gets kind of weird 
if you just think about it, and you've seen those paintings with Jesus in the robe, kind of sitting on a cloud floating up to heaven kind of thing. But there's an importance here that if we don't get a hold of, it'll actually affect, I believe, the way we live. I mean, if we really get our minds and hearts and spirits around the ascension of Christ, it, it can change who we are. Now, you may never have thought of the ascension of Christ in those terms, but it's very, very important because of who we are and what he wants us to do. Robert F. Ramey says this, Easter is incomplete, Pentecost is impeded, and the second coming is impossible without the ascension. The ascension of Christ is of great importance, has accomplished many benefits on our our behalf. A little bit of the background. Remember last week, after Jesus' death, he's resurrected from the dead. Paul says in 1 Corinthians that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, that he appeared to Peter, then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me, also as to one abnormally born. Jesus goes to the cross, raised from the dead, and for the next 40 days, he appears to disciples, teaching them. He appears to at least over 500 people, Paul says here in Corinthians. And then, at the end of 40 days, he gathers his believers with him, it says in Luke 20, says, when he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, that's really close, by the way, to Jerusalem, he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they stayed continually at the temple praising God. Acts has a companion piece to this. Remember, Luke wrote Luke and Acts, and it kind of Luke ends and Acts begins, and he kind of overlaps them just a little bit to connect the two books together, Luke does. It says this, after he had said this, by the way, what he had just said was, go and be my disciples, teaching, baptizing, wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon you. He told them all of that. That's the last things he tells them, go and be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, into the earth, giving them great commission. After he said this, He was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky. I think this is one of the great understatements of the Bible. By the way, can you imagine? Jesus, this cracks me up. He's standing there. He says, go, be my disciples. He starts to bless them. Then this cloud envelops him. The cloud is not like a fog, by the way. It's not like it gets foggy and then he disappears, kind of like a magic act. The cloud, they can watch him go. And by the way, the word cloud here is the same word of the Shekinah glory of God that's mentioned in the Old Testament. The cloud that led the nation of Israel by uh, day, pillar of fire by night. Um, The cloud that comes upon Jesus, the glory of God as it descends on Jesus at his transfiguration. Same exact cloud in all of these passages. So it's the Shekinah glory of God that envelops him. So Jesus is standing there. He's talking to him. The next thing you know, he's enveloped by the glory of God. And the Bible says they stared intently, which cracks me up. I'd be, wouldn't you? What's happened? You know, Jesus is going. Now, 
By the way, this is not, um, this is not really or shouldn't have been a surprise. It also cracks me up that the disciples are continually surprised at what happens to Jesus. You know, the cross, the resurrection, the ascension, all of this Jesus has told them about over and over and over again. As a matter of fact, at the end of the transfiguration experience, it says in Luke 9.51, this is like 10 chapters earlier, after the transfiguration, it says, at the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Taken up into heaven is not a euphemism for died. Taken up into heaven, we say when someone goes to heaven, oh, they went to heaven. That means they de- they're dead, right? But for this, they mean taken up into heaven. The ascension of Christ. He told them in Luke 22, verse 69, but from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the mighty God. Here's an important truth. Jesus ascended physically into heaven. Physically into heaven. He spoke of himself, his apostles witnessed his body going up. But where did Jesus go when he went into heaven? The Bible talks, by the way, about three heavens. It talks about um, the atmosphere just above the earth as a heaven. It talks about the stars and the planets as a second heaven. And then it talks about heaven or the third heaven as the place where God dwells, where the throne of God occupies. Paul talks about being caught up into the third heaven. Um, That's where God is. Whatever this third heaven or wherever this third heaven might be, many of us think, I believe we think of it as kind of a mystery place, maybe a metaphorical place, maybe a, a, a place that's in a different sphere somehow. But wherever it is, it has to be a physical sphere in time and maybe outside of time, but in space in some way, because Christ was physically taken there. It has to be a place where he's occupying. Are are you all with me? You may not be thinking about this, that that the physical body, the resurrection body of Jesus went to be at the right hand of God the Father. He didn't change. The Bible clearly states in many places that Jesus' physical body, he is there as our representative. Mark 16, 19, just to give you a couple of verses, uh, just to kind of emphasize a couple of things. After the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven, and he sat at the right hand of God. Now, some of them may, again, see this as a metaphor. He's sitting at the right hand of God. He's standing at the right hand of God. I, I believe it's more than that. I believe there is a physical activity of Jesus at the right hand of God. 1 Peter 3, 22 says, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Philippians 2, verses 10 and 11, which talks about how Jesus humbled himself, left his privileges and glory, came to this earth, was made a man, humiliated himself, and went to the cross. It says, therefore God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven, and on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I believe 
I believe in Jesus. I believe in Jesus who went to the cross and died a physical death. I believe in the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. I believe in the physical ascension of Jesus Christ, who is there with God the Father right now. I believe in a physical return of Jesus Christ. Now, you may say, wow, you're emphasizing the whole physical part a lot. Yeah, I am. Why? Because that is a critical component to our faith as followers of Jesus Christ. He is fully God and fully human, fully man. And he was taken up into heaven. Well, now, again, I know this, in some ways, it's hard for us to get past our 21st century skepticism about what Jesus is doing and where he is right now, but the physical ascension of Jesus Christ is important to us for a number of reasons, and I want to give them to you as I see them because they are components about who we are as a people and who we are as a church. Are you with me? Okay, stay with me. We'll go through these. The first point is this. Because Jesus ascended physically, because he left physically, we receive the Holy Spirit. This should be good news. And Jesus proclaimed it before he ever left. In John 16, verse 7, he says this. I tell you the truth, it's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So, 40 days there with Jesus after the resurrection. Jesus ascends to heaven, and then it's 10 days later before the Spirit is poured out on the day of Pentecost. And it's because Jesus left that the Holy Spirit then comes. If I was with the apostles at that time, the disciples, I would have been like, Jesus, I don't think it's a good thing for you to go. I think it's better if you stay here with us. I mean, there's always that part, I wish Jesus was here. Right? Don't we all say that? I wish Jesus was here. You know the problem with Jesus being here, here? Is that if he's here, he's only right here. I, I don't know if you're following me. If Jesus is right here, then Jesus is only right here. Why? Because Jesus is still in a physical body. Are you, are you following me? I don't think some of you believe me. I think some of you are thinking Jesus is everywhere. Well, in a sense, his spirit is everywhere because the Holy Spirit is everywhere. But Jesus, God, chose to limit himself to a physical container. And many of us, I think when we think of Jesus ascended, we think he abandoned that physical container. And now he is omnipresent. God is omnipresent, but Jesus is physically. Have you ever thought about this? I mean, so if Jesus were here, that means Jesus couldn't be there because Jesus would be here. But the Holy Spirit is everywhere. So Jesus is saying, it's good for me to go to the Father. I'll be with the Father, and from the Father, I will send the Holy Spirit. It's why in John 14, 12, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I'm going to my Father. How can we do greater things? 
We're doing greater things because we have the exact same Holy Spirit that Jesus had. We have the exact same Holy Spirit that the apostles had. We receive the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is, is enveloping and filling empowering believers all over the world at this very moment, not limited to time and space. We have the Holy Spirit, millions, each indwelt by the Spirit of God, taking the good news worldwide. Don't you think this is good news so far? The ascension provides this. Without the ascension of Christ... Because of God's economy, we would not have the Holy Spirit poured out on us as a people. Second, we receive spiritual gifts. We receive spiritual gifts. Ephesians 4, verse 8 through 12 says this. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? By the way, we really don't know what that means. Um, there's a lot of controversy over what does it mean. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. The very It's called the harrowing of hell, and it's a pretty controversial topic. We really don't quite know. The whole lead captives in his train thought. We'll find out someday. Uh, but because Jesus descended and ascended, it goes on and says it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Key verse for us, right? Attaining to the whole measure of the fullness, get it? Fullness of Christ. Because Jesus ascended, People, you're going to have to go with me here. We're going to have to get moving. Um, Because Jesus ascended, he's not only sent the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, he's also giving gifts of men, spiritual gifts, to build up the body of Christ until when? I'm sorry. What does it say? Until we all reach maturity attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Here's the question I would ask you. Has the church become mature? Have we all attained to the whole fullness of Christ? Have we? I would say not quite yet. I'm pretty close, but I've still got a little gap. Now, I know we've got a little ways to go, right? So what do we need in order to get there? According to this passage, what do we need? What is God giving us in order for that to occur? Spiritual gifts. Apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists. I believe all of those are still needed. Why? Because we're not mature. Could it be that we're not mature because a large part of the church denies that two of those five even exist today? Could be. I don't know how God works totally in apostles and prophets in this day and age. A lot of controversy over that. But I think we still need them because we still need to become mature. We need all five. And it's because Jesus Christ is ascended that he's giving spiritual gifts. Without the ascension, we would not have either the Holy Spirit or spiritual gifts to do and become all that God has for us. Are you starting to get the point now that the ascension matters? Not only that, 
Third point is we receive power. Paul, as um, Andrea read this morning, Paul prays that we ha- that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Why? In order that you could know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. His power is available for us who believe, right? What kind of power is this? It's incomparably great. Meaning, you can't compare it to anything. It's so great, you can't compare it to anything. You might say, well, his power is like this. No, you can't, because you can't compare it to anything. It's incomparable. But then he goes on and says, that power is like. The best thing he can compare, that power that we have to, it's like the power of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Greatest demonstration of the power of God is the resurrection of Christ and his ascension. Now, I, I have emphasized over the years that it's the resurrection, but it is the resurrection and the ascension. Why? Because he's seated at the right hand of God the Father far above all powers and dominions and titles and everything else. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Let me try and move through this incredibly rich thought very quickly. Greatest demonstration of the power of God was when Jesus is raised from the dead and ascends, and God has placed all things under his feet because he is the head over who? The church. What is the implication of this? What is the implication of this? The implication is this. That we have been given power because Jesus is ascended. He's the head. Everything is under him. We have been delegated rights and authority and power because Jesus rules and reigns and he is our head. Is this not pretty good news? Paul goes on. He doesn't think the Ephesians get it. The church in Ephesus gets it. So he says this over and over and over again in various ways. He goes on and says in chapter 2, And God raised us with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. I mean, Jesus is physically there, but we're there in a spiritual sense. We're seated with him. The word power here, maybe it'd be better to think of the word authority. You've been given authority from God to do what he's calling you to do. Some of us are acting as if we have no power and no authority. We don't believe it. We have a faith problem. Well, the problem you have is that you look in the mirror you see yourself and you say, I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm just not that good. I'm not that strong. I'm not that smart. I'm not that pretty. I'm not that rich. I'm not that educated. 
And you know what? You're using markers that are totally irrelevant in this discussion. The only marker that matters is that you are a follower of Jesus Christ. He is ascended to the right hand of God the Father. He's in a position of power and authority. And you, as a result, have that power and authority. I talked about, I talked about on Wednesday night, I was in my uh, life group class, and I talked about how probably the verse that tripped for me this whole idea of who I am in Jesus Christ and who we are is the Great Commission. I, I was, I'm raised Baptist, born and raised Baptist. I mean, Baptist my whole life. Baptist college, Baptist seminary, Baptist hospital, Baptist. I mean, I, I'm Baptist from the background. Now, the Baptists, we love a couple of verses greatly. And I'm thankful for my Baptist heritage because it gave me a love for the Word of God. But one of the key verses that we learned in RAs and if you're in GAs or those are the kids' programs, is the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Ghost, speaking, teaching them to observe all things I've commanded you. Lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the earth. One of the parts, and so we were, it was programmed into us to go and make disciples, go and make disciples, go and make disciples, go and make disciples. But in Acts and in Matthew, before it says go and make disciples, there's a key component that nobody told me about. Jesus says, before he says in Matthew, go, he says, all authority has been given to me. All authority has been given to me. The implication that he's given is this. All authority is given to me. I'm giving it to you. Now go and make disciples. In Acts... Jesus says, wait until power from on high comes upon you, then go. Right? What was I missing? I was really in the going stage, but I'd, for, I'd never heard anybody tell me I've been given the same authority and the same power to go. In other words, I can't go in my own power and my own authority because I've got none, and neither can you. But all authority has been given to you. All authority. Because Jesus is ascended, he's received authority. He is distributing the spirit, the gifts, and the power for us to do what is necessary for us to do. John chapter 14, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. Jesus applies power to the church, authority to the church, because he's the head of the church. I don't know who you think the head of the church is. It's not me. I mean, really, it's not me. Jesus is the head of the church. The power, authority to do, it all comes from him. Okay, here we go. We receive intercession. A fourth benefit is that we receive intercession while on earth, Jesus accomplished the provision of salvation to all who would believe. Now he accomplishes a different ministry. As our intercessor, he stands in the gap for us between where we are and where God is. Hebrews 4. Therefore, listen to this carefully in relationship to the ascension of Christ. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone, into the hev- gone through the heavens... 
Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus is at the right hand of God the Father. He's there making intercession for us. And that word intercession means to stand in the gap for us. Romans 8, key passage. Christ Jesus who died. More than that. More than just died, he's saying. Paul's really excited about this. Christ Jesus who died. No, 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 wait. More than that. Was raised to life. Is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. He's interceding for us. Hebrews 7, 25. Therefore, he's able to save completely those who came to God through him because he always lives to intercede for us. I know I'm doing a lot of scripture passages. I hope you'll write these down. You get the point there's a lot that the Bible says about the ascension of Christ. As our advocate, he continually makes the case for us before God the Father. He always lives to make intercession for us. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. Hey, but if anybody does sin, anybody here occasionally stumble, fall, sin? We have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Christ Jesus, the righteous one. When we sin and need forgiveness, he's there making intercession for us. And he always lives to intercede on our behalf. He does so as the first human to enter heaven in a glorified form. I, I am overwhelmed by the number of passwords I have these days. Uh, I, I mean, pass, you, you've got passwords on your computer, passwords for all your accounts. You know, the experts tell me that um, all my passwords should be different. All my passwords should be a combination of capital letters, numbers, and some sort of symbol that I shouldn't use common words, that um, in, in order to not get hacked, I should use all these various passwords. I am totally confused. I've sat at my computer in the past just trying to, what was the password I used for this program? And I, I, I spent a long time, so I forgot my password. You know the little thing they have at the bottom? Like, email me my password or reset for my password. One of the things I've learned is that you can buy a program that stores all your passwords. Does anybody else have this kind of program? I know it's probably unsafe, but I got so stinking sick of trying to figure out my passwords that I bought a program that stores all of my passwords. So I have one password to get to my program that stores all my passwords, and then from there I can get to all my other places. I'll share that great information with you later for those of you who don't have it. Jesus is more than a password. But he is the gate through which we have to go to receive everything. He is the one who intercedes. He's the one who saves. He's the one who, through whom our sins are forgiven. He's the one through whom we go to receive life. We gain access to God through Jesus, through salvation, through intercession, in every way 
without Jesus and without the ascended Jesus, we don't have one there on our behalf. Final point, and we're going to talk about this more um, next week and the week ahead. We receive a promise. We receive a promise. Here's one of the promises. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would not have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. Part of what Jesus is doing is what? Getting things ready for when we go. There's a promise. I'm going and I'm going to prepare it for you. 1 Corinthians 15. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. But each in his own turn. Christ the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. What is the promise here? It's a double full promise. Maybe triple would be a better word. Jesus has gone to heaven. He's getting your mansion. I got a mansion just over the hilltop. You know that he's preparing your mansion. Those gospel quartet singers will remember that later. Um, he's got a mansion that he's getting us ready. He's getting ready for us. And he's getting us ready for that mansion, by the way. We're going to talk about that in two weeks. He's getting us ready for what he's preparing for us. Not only that, but because he's there, he is the first fruit. He's the first one, the example, the promise that we too are going to be like him. If Jesus Christ wasn't raised from the dead and not ascended, then we have no promise of a destiny in a future. But because he is, we do. And third, we have the promise that he's going to come back. He's going to return. And we're all going to be changed, and we're all going to be like him. That's why Acts 1.11 says, Men of Galilee, remember, after Jesus goes up, these two angelic figures appear and ask, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Same way. That's a key part of the return of Christ. Same Christ, same way. How did he come? He came as a man. How did he go? He went as a man. How's he coming back? He's coming physically back as a ruling king. John Walford, in his commentary on this passage, says, This is of great significance because when Christ returns to earth and to establish his kingdom... His second advent has all of these same characteristics, namely visible, bodily, and with glory. When we think of the ascension of Christ, I hope that you this morning don't think of it just as a metaphor. Oh, Jesus had to go somewhere because he couldn't be here. He's gone somewhere and he's metaphorically gone. He's metaphorically at the right hand of God the Father. He's metaphorically going to come returning. There's a physicality to this that is crucial to our faith. If Jesus is not ascended physically, then we don't have the Holy Spirit. We're not getting spiritual gifts. We don't have power and authority. He's not making intercession for us, and he's not returning. Do you think the ascension is important? I think it's more than important. Not only that, if we really 
really get a hold of the ascension of Christ, should it change then the way we live? Should it not make a difference? When I go from this place, because Jesus is where he is, I go filled with the Holy Spirit. I go with authority. I go with spiritual gifts that are equipping me. I go because someone is there making intercession for me. I go with the assurance that no matter what happens to me out there, I have a promise. I have a promise. I have a destiny. I have, because of Jesus Christ's ascension, I am changed. What should be the response that we have to the ascension of Christ? Should be the same. The apostles, when he went up, they saw him go physically. You would think they would have been mourning. Oh, Jesus is gone. This is horrible. What did they do? They broke out in worship. They worshiped him. They stayed continually at the temple praising God. Continually. They worshiped him. They weren't sad. They were happy. They were, all right, now we're going to do what he told us to do. We're going to do the stuff that Jesus gave us to do. Church, I, I really believe it's time we did the stuff that Jesus gave us to do. It's, I mean, it's time that we in the authority and the power of Christ go and make disciples of all mankind. Disciples of my neighbors, sharing Jesus Christ. Disciples at my workplace, disciples at school, sharing Jesus Christ in power and authority with a heart of worship to see the nations changed. If that's a little too big a vision to change the nations, just start with your apartment. Start with your kids. Start with your mom or your dad or a relative or a close friend. And then let's see it move from there. But don't, don't anymore just look in the mirror and say, I'm nothing. Because the ascension of Christ promises you and tells you that you are more than what you appear. Stand up with me and let's pray. I pray that, Spirit of God, you would take these words and make them be life to us so that we can know who we are. I believe that even at this moment, there are those who are coming under the accusations of the enemy to say, oh, that really doesn't mean you. That's really not for you. That's for the other people who are more spiritual in this place. And by the authority of Jesus Christ, we just silence the accuser. And instead, I pray that, Spirit of God, you would open the eyes of our heart that we may know this power. We may know this hope. We can know who we are in Jesus and what you've called us to do. May we go in that might and that authority and that power, assured of a promise of a returning king who is at the moment interceding on our behalf and distributing gifts and power and everything we need to be all that he's called us to be. We thank you, Lord Jesus. We love you. You are our risen, exalted, ascended king. 
now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or even imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in Christ Jesus and in the church throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. God bless you. I love you. Have a wonderful day in the Lord.